Well, good evening. Boy, another beautiful day out there, isn't it? This weather is gorgeous. It was great today. I was out working in the yard and cleaning up some stuff. Whenever Lynn leaves for the week, she's a women's retreat. So whenever she leaves, it's like a work weekend for me. You know, it's just like, not because she assigns things, just because she's not around. So I can just focus in, get some stuff done. So uh, how many of you guys have uh, wives or significant others up at the, uh, the women's retreat? Can you see that? That's pretty good. You made it all right. Good job. That's, that's great. Uh, and I, I met a couple of uh, couple first-timers here uh, sitting right by me tonight. Any, any other first-timers here? Any first time? Got a couple here. Got one over there. Any, any in the back? Right there, right there. Good. Good. Well, a special welcome to you. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy your evening with us. Uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and uh, we're in the midst of a series right now that's, uh, we'll talk about it more later, but we're going to be in the book of Romans. So inside your, your program is a white message note sheet we use every week. We go through our time of teaching. I encourage you to take that out, if you would, and then I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll go ahead and <laughs> get started. Father, uh, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our church. Thank you for this beautiful day that we had today. God, we just pray for our women up there at the women's retreat right now that you would be moving uh, powerfully tonight through Shannon as she speaks. And we just pray that there would be a real encounter time for them where they get to see you in a new way and be changed from the inside out, just like we're praying that for us here as we're in two different locations tonight. We pray that in your name. Amen. Well, last week when we left him, he was uh, in his mid-80s. And... Uh, and so now it's been five to ten years. It's been five to ten years then when, since, he had, uh, since God had first shown up, asked him to leave his homeland, leave his country, leave his extended family, go to a, a land that he, God would show him. And, and remember, of course, there was all these promises that came with this offer. You know, if you promise me, if you follow me, I will bless you. Um, I will bless you financially. I'll protect you. I'll make you a great name. And And then there was that promise we talked about last week, probably went the most of all the promises that I'll make you into a great nation, which means by default you have to have at least one son, which is a great thing because he was 75 years old and they've been trying for years and had no kids. And so it's probably that that promise that meant the most to to Abram. And uh, for whatever reason, he decided this God who had appeared to him seemed trustworthy, and so he was going to go with it. And so he, he packs up his family and they move several hundred miles away in this great adventure. And uh, over the next five, ten years, uh, God will appear to him more than once, two or three times, um, that we know about. One of those times was one of the most important times was the starry, starry night appearance. Remember that? We talked about that last week. God shows up and says, reaffirms the promises to bless him with the family. And he says, someday your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. Takes him outside. And for once again, even now that he's in his 80s and he's getting older and the prospects of having children looks even less and less, once again, he buys in, he trusts this God, and he believes him. And you remember that the God says, because you trusted me, I'm going to consider you a righteous man. It has nothing to do with your performance or the kind of guy you are, but just because you trusted me, I'm going to consider your faith and going to credit your spiritual bank account. And so we talked about that last week. Well, today we're fast-forwarding. We're jumping ahead at least 15 years in time. He is now 99 years old. It's been 24 years since the original promise. Now, I want you to think about that. Uh, you know, we think Bible time. Well, it's 24 years. It was a billion years ago anyway. But uh, 24 years, think about that. Like 24 years ago, if I do the, right, the math right, it's 1984. Uh, how many of you were not even born in 84? Can I see your hands? Yeah, quite a few of you. 
Yeah, well, welcome to our world. It's great to have you. Uh, 1984, well, that's the year the, the, the world was supposed to end, right? George Orwell's book and everything. And uh, I don't, What were you doing in 84? I mean, that's a long time ago, right? It was my first year in ministry in 1984. Uh, I tell you, that's a long time ago. And, uh, and so, so God shows up after 24 years. He's now 99 years old. They, uh, in the Bible term, uh, they were past childbearing years. The Bible puts it this way. They were as good as dead. <laughs> I'm not even going there. I'm just like leaving that one alone, just moving right along. And so God shows up, and, and when God shows up, he shows up to reaffirm the promise, but he even adds to it. He takes it to the next level. And he says, not only are you going to be a father of a great nation, you're going to be a father of many great nations. In fact, I'm going to give you all a new name. It used to be called Abram. That meant exalted father. It's already been a pain to have that name when you're 99 have no kids. So I'm going to give you a new name. Oh, good. What is it? Abraham. What's that mean? Father of many. Oh, great. <laughs> and uh, God says, uh, in fact, uh, I, I want to give you a special gift, a sign of our special relationship. Oh, this has got to be good. <laughs> He's so good. What is it? It's circumcision. <laughs> Do you have any other signs, God? Noah got the rainbow. I don't know how you feel about that. I'm 99 years old. I'm not getting excited about that. I, in fact, you know, whatever. I don't care how old I am. I'm not getting excited about that. That's what I do with the babies. They can't get excited. They don't know what's going on. And, um, and he says, hey, but there's more. It's like the QVC channel. But there's more. Uh, not only am I giving this special sign to you, but all your descendants from now on, they get this special sign. In fact, all the men in your camp, and he has a small private army, three, 400 men. In fact, they all get this sign. Whoa, it's great. And this is my special sign to you that I'm coming through on my promise. So what's Abraham do? He falls down and starts laughing. I think I'd be crying. Right? But he falls down. He starts laughing. He's la I mean, God's talking to him. He falls down laughing. Can you picture this? I mean, it's the only time in the Bible I can think of that guy falls down laughing when God's talking. He falls. He's just, he's, he thinks it's hilarious. Now, there's a lot of people, there's some people who think, at least, that, that Abraham laughed because of unbelief. You know, like there's no way this is going to happen. It's ridiculous. I don't think so. There's a couple reasons why I think he was laughing for the reasons. First of all, about a chapter later in Genesis 18, Sarah gets wind of this and she laughs. And God rebukes her. He never rebukes Abraham. They were laughing for different reasons. Sarah was laughing out of disbelief. He was laughing for some of that. There's another reason, though, why I don't think he was laughing out of unbelief. That very same day, they have a circumcision party. He invites all the men. It's kind of like a Tupperware party. You know? <laughs> Except you leave with less than you came in with. <laughs> you get all the guys together, and uh, he says, man, I got some good news and some bad news. What's the good news, Abraham? God is with us. He showed up again. What's the bad news? Well, he's got this little gift. 
And right that very same day, three, four hundred men, they lined up. Can I tell you something? You don't do that unless you believe that God just appeared to you. <laughs> you don't tell your men, we're all going through this, unless you believe that what God said. Now, I don't think Abraham was laughing because of unbelief. I think he was laughing because he thought it was hilarious. This is ridiculous. Like, who would ever think of this up? You give me a promise 24 years ago that I'm going to become a great nation. You wait 24 years, I don't even have one son yet. You show up to tell me, now I'm going to be great, I'm going to create many nations, and now my wife and I are as good as dead. And he just thought, it just struck him as funny. And he fell down and he laughed. The laugh of faith. Today we're continuing on this series that we've been in the last uh, two or three months. It's a series that's called The Way. It's a study, if you're new, I like to always step back for those of you who are new here. It's a study that, uh, it's about the life and teaching of the Apostle Paul, who is one of the greatest spiritual thinkers, leaders of all time. And uh, most of all, he was an incredible Christ follower. And so what we're doing as a church is we're kind of saddling up alongside of him week by week and asking him to mentor us. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be part of this ancient movement that Jesus started Then the early church was called the way? And our strategy each week is we're taking a look at his longest and most famous letter in the New Testament, his letter to the church at Rome. We're using it as a jumping off point, an entryway into the rest of his teaching. So today we come to, to Romans chapter 4. So if you haven't done so already, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Romans 4. Now, if you've been with us throughout the series, you know that today we're coming to the end of our first mini-series. And within this big overall series, The Way, there's a first mini-series. We've called it Fallen and Forgiven because in the first four chapters of Romans, Paul's been laying out uh, how the human race fell away from God and what God has done to bring us back through Christ so to forgive us, so fallen and forgiven. And what we've learned is that as a fallen race, that there's really no way that we can rescue ourselves, that we need God to come and rescue us. And so that's what he's done through Jesus. And, and so there's no way by our own performance we can ever earn a relationship with God. It's got to be a gift. And it's a gift based on what Christ did. And we tr- have to trust God for that gift. And so this whole idea of being rescued or saved, we you say something, by, by faith, is a hard concept for us as human beings to get our hands around. But it's especially hard in Paul's day for the Jewish nation who've been raised from the time that they were young in, Jew- in Paul's day to have a very legalistic approach to their relationship with God. That if you want to have a relationship with God, you need to kind of earn it by following very minute, uh, just to the T, all the Old Testament laws. And so it's really hard for them to accept. And so in chapter 4, if you were here last week, Paul called forth a couple, uh, couple of the key witnesses from Jewish history to testify in court, so to speak, about what they had found about their relationship with God. And the two leaders were Abraham, we started the day with the story of Abraham, and David, their, their greatest king. And both of them testified last week through their writings that, yes, it's true that we have to have a relationship with God based not on our performance, but based on what God has done and in his mercy. And so, so that was last week. Now, the Apostle Paul, there's, he wants, there's a couple questions that keep coming up through Romans. And it's a question his Jewish listener has. And, and the, the first two, these two questions are going to come up today are, well, wait a second, Paul, but isn't the Messiah doesn't he belong to the Jewish race? 
And so I, we get this thing, salvation through faith in the Messiah. Okay, we get that. But it's, is it just for the, the Jews or is it for everyone? That's one question. The second question is, hey, we've been raised our whole life to follow the Old Testament law. How does that fit in with this faith in Jesus? How do these two systems work together? So what he's going to do today is he's going to answer both of those questions. And he's going to be, uh, answer them through a case study of Abraham. And, uh, and then at the end, he's going to go on and, and delve into a little bit more about Abraham's faith, what faith, true faith looks like, and how it grows in our life. So if you have your Bibles there, we're going to start off in uh, verse 9. And you can see what, what I've done is I've, I've broken this section down. There's a section on your notes you called Abraham's faith. And I've broken it down into these three questions that Paul will answer throughout this section. And so let's just break it up for us to f- be able to follow. So we'll start at chapter 4 and verse 9. Romans 4 and verse 9. So the question is, Paul says, is this blessedness, this new relationship with God, we're blessed, is this blessedness, is it only for the circumcised, the Jewish people, or is it also for the uncircumcised? Um, How does this work? And what Paul's going to say is he's going to use Abraham as a case study. He's going to say, let's go back in time and let's go back to the starry, starry night incident, right? There is back there. Remember, Abraham was in his 80s, and God shows up, and he makes all these promises, and Abraham believes him, and he's made right with God. So Paul's going to go back. He's going to say, okay, so was, was Abraham circumcised at that time? If he was circumcised, then maybe we all have to be circumcised or become Jewish before we can become followers of Jesus. If he wasn't circumcised, then obviously that's not a requirement. Well, of course, the fact is he wasn't circumcised. That didn't happen until he was 99 in the second story, the end of the story we talked today. So if you have your Bible there, we'll look at, start at verse, uh, continue on. We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Well, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Well, it was not after, it was before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So in other words, when he's in his 80s, starry, starry night, God shows up, he trusts God. God says, I I will credit that, that trust for righteousness. You're right with me, okay? That's in his 80s. When he's 99, he gets circumcision, which is a sign, it's a seal of the relationship he already had. Much like this wedding ring I wear, it doesn't like make me married. If I take it off, I'm not unmarried. It's a sign of a relationship that started, in my case, 32 years ago, you see? And so I know it's hard to believe that such a young guy could be married so long, but but that's the truth. Um, I got married when I was 12. So uh, we lived in Arkansas. It was pretty normal. Um, (laughs) Back there. Okay, so anyway, (laughs) where was I? (laughs) Okay, so verse 12. And so he is, he's, he's also the father of the circumcised, the Jewish people, who are not only circumcised, um, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham uh, had before him was circumcised. Let's go back to pick up the end of verse 11. I stopped, I started one line too uh, early. See the last verse 11, last section 11, it says, so then he's the father of all who believe. Uh, Abraham's the father of all believers in Jesus. He's the spiritual father of all believers. 
Um, he's, a, he's, he's a father of those who believe but have not been circumcised. Okay, they'd be like Gentiles or whatever. In order that the righteousness might be credited to them. But he's also the father of the circumcised, the Jews, who not only are circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of faith. So it's not, circumcision doesn't automatically get you in. Obviously, being a Jew doesn't automatically get you in. You have to still trust in God like he did. Okay? So that's the first question. First question that they ask is, you know, is this for just for the Jews or is it for everyone? He says, no, it's for everyone. Okay, second question. The next question has to do with the law. And it's there in your note sheet. Uh, question number two, what about the law? How does it fit with faith? So they've been raised, uh, these Jewish people, and raised with a very legalistic approach to the Old Testament law. And, and so the question is, okay, God gave us the law at Mount Sinai through Moses. We've been trying to follow that law. Now you're saying we're supposed to trust by faith. How do these two, how does faith and law work together? And Paul's basically going to say, well, they don't. They're, they're two like opposites. There's one approach that I'm going to earn my relationship with God via my performance. There's the one by faith is I'm going to trust God for my relationship based on what Christ did. They're really opposites. They don't work. And what Paul's going to say is, hey, it's a good thing. Because if we had to earn our relationship with God, none of us would ever make it. Because what the law does, the law is a good thing. It just tells us here's how to live life. Love God. Love people. What's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that, right? And so that's the law, but the problem is, is that we as fallen people really can't live up to that. So if we were going to try to have a relationship with God based on just uh, kind of our own merit, so to speak, uh, we would just get condemned. And, and, and the law, if you try to relate to God based on the law, it only leads to wrath and judgment and condemnation. Okay? So that's the second question. So let's, let's see how he says it. Verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. So let's go back to, remember Genesis 15, starry, starry night. God says, you know, I'm going to give you all these descendants, stars of the sky. And so what, what happened that night? Did God say, okay, uh, here's what you need to do, Abraham. Here is my law. You need to keep that. If you keep it, the promise will come true. Is that what happened? No, it's not. Uh, what happened is Abraham just trusted in God. God said, okay, I'm gonna, you, you're a righteous man. I'm going to fulfill the promise. So that's what Paul is saying. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, in other words, if you have to earn it, faith has no value. You don't need faith. It's just a performance issue. And the promise that God gave that night to Abraham on Starry Story Night, the promise would be worthless. Well, why? Well, because we couldn't keep the promise. If it was dependent on our fulfilling the conditions, we would never make it. It would be worthless. Because law brings wrath. It just brings judgment. It brings condemnation. Because, you know, we break it, you have to pay the sentence. Uh, and he says, and where there's no law, there's no transgression. In other words, if there's no law, there's no law to break, no violation. And that's kind of where Abraham was at that time in life. Now, verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so it may be by grace, a gift, and it may be guaranteed to Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are the law, in other words, Jews, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham. So, so this is the way God set it up. God set it up that it's all about our faith and trust in him because that way it can be guaranteed. If we just have to trust him, we can, he can guarantee, you trust me, I'll give it. If it's based on our performance, we, it would never, the whole system would never work. Um, verse um, 
verse 16, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also those of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. He's the spiritual father of us all, both Jews and Gentiles. As it's written, I have made you the father of many nations. Now this is a quote from the story we started the day with. Remember he showed up, said no longer just one nation, you're going to be a father of many nations. And it, it's true in a, in a literal sense uh, because he's the father of Ishmael and the Arab nations came out of, uh, came out of uh, Abraham. But it's also true in a spiritual sense, Paul says, because all the nations of the world are going to come to Christ through because of Abraham's faith in the Messiah. You see, So he becomes, uh, it's fulfilled at a spiritual level too. Verse 17, as it's written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God. In other words, from God's perspective. In whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. So the God who shows up to Abraham and says, I know you're as good as dead, but I'm telling you, you're going to be a father of nations. He can call the future, right? Because he can call potentialities into action. That God is the God we're trusting in. That God who can bring people back from the dead like Jesus, the God who will bring us back from the dead. Verse 18, now he's going to talk this a little bit more, and this is the, that last question there in your note sheet. Um, so Abraham's faith, what's it look like? How does it grow? And we'll spend most of our time later talking about this. But he's going to talk a little about Abraham and his faith and, and how, how his faith works. And he says in verse 18, against all hope. Now he's going back to that point in time, 99 years old or 85 years old, whichever the promise you want. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. In other words, he was facing a hopeless situation. He's 99. His wife is 89. She's postmenopausal. You know, he's as good as dead. And, uh, and I mean, it's hopeless, right? There's just no way you're going to have a kid, you know? And so, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. He continued to believe. And so he became the father of many nations because, of course, the promise came true. He had Isaac and then became multiplied. Just as has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. So he was a realist. See, there it is, as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old. Um, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. But he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God. So his faith actually grew stronger during these 24 years. He was strengthened in his faith. We'll come back to that later on. And he gave glory to God. In other words, he said, hey, I know this is impossible. I know it's hopeless, but God said it was going to happen. I believe he's able to do it. And so he gave glory to God. I, I believe in him. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was, quote, remember this is Genesis 15, 6, quote, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, the words that was credited to him were written not for him alone. We saw this for us last week. Then notice that when God wrote those words in Genesis 15, 6, they're not just written for him. They're written for us because there's a very deep spiritual principle here going on. But they're also for us, verse 24, to whom God will credit us righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered to death for our sins. He was raised to life for our justification. And so... Um, and so uh, there's a spiritual principle going on there. Back with Abraham, we talked about this last week, that one day would be fulfilled when Jesus came. And we trust God not for a son. We trust him for our 
salvation. This is the same principles at work. Now, and so with that, the Apostle Paul brings the first four chapters to an end, this first mini-series to an end. And so what have we learned? We've learned that we're, we're a fallen race, right? We've learned that it doesn't matter whether it's you wild kids over here or you good kids in the middle or you special kids, Jewish kids, remember, right? It doesn't really matter. We all fall short of what we were created to be. There's something basically wrong with us. And so that's why God sent his son to, to provide, be the great substitute, to take the sentence for our uh, uh, rebellion, for our judgment before the king. And, and the great exchange took place. And you remember then we learned that there's only, that this, it doesn't really matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. There's only one way to God. It's through faith in Christ. And then in chapter 4, he says this, this faith in Christ, it's really not a new thing. It's the way people have always related to God, the Jewish leaders in the past, Abraham and David. So that's the flow of chapters 1 through 4. And next week we'll come back and we'll celebrate this redemption that we have in Christ. But for today... Um, it also raises some important questions about faith. And we started talking about this last week, about real faith and what does it look like. And we asked questions, so, so what does real faith look like and, and how does it operate and why is it so important to God, this faith thing? We talked about that last week. But we also said if it's so important, how does it grow in our lives? How do we grow in faith? And so today in the, uh, what we're going to do in the time we have is um, there in your note sheet, there's a section that's called Real Faith, What It Looks Like and How It Grows. And we want to delve in from Abraham's case study that Paul develops here and talk about that more for our life. You know, if this, if this faith thing's so important, how does it grow in our life? So number one, here we go. Uh, the first point goes like this, that real faith is, is more than positive thinking. All right? Now, we started talking about this last week. We're going to delve in a little bit more today because Abraham's life at the end of this chapter, uh, chapter four, just really, Paul really lays into this. Real faith is more than positive thinking. <laughs> now, there's a lot of crazy ideas out there in our culture today about what faith uh, is about. In fact, uh, you know, it's often that faith is almost seen as a power in and of itself. That it doesn't matter what you believe, if you believe it strong enough, hard enough, if you're positive, you just don't let any negative thoughts in, if you visualize it, then faith will bring it into reality. It's almost like this power that it has, this power, to, a supernatural power to create reality. Uh, it's, faith is almost like a magnet that just draws your future to you, whatever you're visualizing. In fact, um, I mentioned this last week, but that, that book that's been so popular, The Secret, some of you, how many of you have heard that book? You read that book? Okay, a few of you. Okay. Uh, very popular. I saw the bazillion copies, you know. And, and the basic idea of the book is what they call what's called the law of attraction. And it's basically the idea is if you think positive thoughts, uh, then positive things will be drawn to you. If you think negative thoughts, negative things will be drawn to you. So faith becomes sort of a, a, a kind of a mental power that draws your future uh, to you, to yourself. Now, the thing is, uh, this has also crept into the Christian community over time. And you see it. For example, we talked last week about things like kind of the name it, claim it. You've heard that kind of theology. The Bible says it, and, and I'm just going to take this promise, I'm going to claim it, and God's kind of required to fulfill this because this is what it says, so I name it and I, I claim it. Um, for other uh, time, it, it, this kind of shows up in Christian circles with the idea that God wants you to be rich and successful. And this is very common, kind of a health and wealth gospel type of thing. That, uh, that God wants you to be rich, your, your, your kids are the king, you deserve the best. And so if you trust God, then he will make you successful, he will make you uh, wealthy. 
Um, it shows up in healing ministries sometimes where the, the, the thought is, is that God doesn't want you sick, that it's by Christ's stripes you're healed, and so if you're sick, it's just a lack of faith. And if you would just trust in God, that all sickness would go away, that uh, this is God's desire for your life. Um, it shows up in the positive confession or in the giving sometimes. You know, it's like if you trust God and you give to God, you give to him with a small spoon, he'll give back to you with a big shovel, this kind of thing. And so you, you see this kind of thing on, on TV. You see what I'm saying? It's this kind of this, this idea that there's faith is the power that makes everything happen. And it doesn't really matter what you believe. As long as you believe it, it will, it will create reality, you see. You see it in Christian circles. It's something that's called the positive confession type teaching. Where it's like, hey, you never say a negative word. It's always whatever you, like your words have the power to create reality. And so you never say anything negative. You always say something positive um, because, because if you say something positive, that will create positive reality. Now here's what I want you to catch. I want you to catch how far Abraham's faith was from any of these concepts. That Abraham was the ultimate realist. He was not a positive confession guy. And I want you to look at this in verse uh, eight, uh, 18 through 20, Romans 4, 18 through 20. Chapter 4 and verse <laughs> 18. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. In other words, he was very aware he was facing a hopeless situation. And, and uh, verse 19, without weakening his faith, he faced the fact. Now underline that. He faced the fact. Truth, real faith always faces the facts. Faith is not, oppo um, faith, uh, is not opposed to facts. Faith is opposed to fear. And the opposite of faith is not fact, it's fear. And, and so he faced the facts. Abraham was an ultimate realist. And I love this. Because many times you think of spiritual people or people with faith, the first thing that comes to our mind is that they are kind of a, a pie in the sky, heads in the clouds, or heads in the sand, right? That it's just sort of like, uh, oh no, I can see no evil, hear no evil. Uh, I, I just, you know, and so you say, man, I don't know what we're going to do. We're, we're, boy, next month I'm not sure I'm going to pay the rent. Oh, don't say that. God will provide. Don't say that. You just need to have a positive. Just be saying, God, I know God will provide. That's, that's the way it is. You know, you get cancer, and it's like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to die. Oh, don't say that. You know, you, 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 know they, no, just, you need to trust in God. You say, I will be healed. I will be healed. I will be healed. You see what I'm saying? And then often in Christian circles, and what I want you to catch is Abraham was the opposite of this. Abraham was the ultimate realist. He looks at his body. He says, this is as good as dead. This situation is hopeless. He faces the fact. You think, I got problems, look at my wife, you see. We are both as good as dead. You see, Abraham is a realist. And faith has nothing to do with sticking our head in the sands or pretending that things aren't as bad as they are. You catch this? Faith is looking at the situation, being of an honest assessment, being a realist, and yet also faith is saying, yeah, but what has God said? See, faith looks at reality, the facts, but then faith says, but what has God said about this situation? Now, this is so important. As we learned last week, faith is always a response to what God has said. And one of the things that we can get in trouble with as Christ followers is sometimes we trust God for things he hasn't said. You see, this is the thing of a problem. 
Um, so for example, we will trust God for healing in every situation. And we will ignore the passages where the Apostle Paul talks about being sick, how his best friend, one of his best friends, Epaphrodites, almost died he was so sick. Or Timothy tells him, start taking a little wine for your stomach. You know, I didn't say pray for healing. You see what I'm saying? We'll ignore that, that, that section. Uh, we'll, look at, um, uh, we'll look at the passage and say, give and it shall be given to you. And we'll say, okay, so we'll, we'll trust God for wealth. And we'll ignore the passage where Paul says, you know, man, I've learned how to be content in all circumstances. Sometimes I'm up financially and sometimes I'm down financially, but I can do whatever God calls me to do through Christ who strengthens me, you see? I will look at, uh, we'll, we'll trust God for protection from all pain, all suffering, and we'll ignore passage after passage in the New Testament that tells us we will suffer, that suffering is a part of life. You see what I'm saying? And so it's so important as Christ followers that we, we trust God for what he's, faith is all about trusting God for what he said, not for what we want. It's trusting God for what he said. So um, when you break this down, there are a couple kinds of promises that we trust God for. And you might want to write these down. The first one I'm going to call generic promises, all right? And I'm calling them generic promises because these apply to all Christians at all times. Like Jesus said, I will be with you always to the end of the world. You can take that to the bank. He said, you'll never uh, face a temptation in your life that's too much for you. Take it to the bank. He's promised that his spirit will empower us to follow him. Take it to the bank. He's promised to work all things in our life for the good. Absolutely, every time. He's promised that the next life is ours and it's going to be amazing. See, these are examples of generic promises that you can take to the bank. God said it, you can trust it, okay? There's also specific promises in our life, isn't there? We've probably, many of us in this room, probably had this experience where there's just a particular passage of Scripture or something the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart that you know that God has spoken to you and he's made a specific promise to you. It's not to all Christians of all time. It's a promise to you and your time. He promised Abraham he was going to have a son. He didn't promise everyone they're going to have a son. It's a specific promise. And the point is, is that when God has spoken, you take it to the bank. You, you trust it. But that's what faith is about. Faith isn't about positive thinking, coming up with our idea of the future, putting a, a list of those things on the mirror, and then kind of visualizing it, uh, saying it 10 times before you go to bed or 10 times before you get up in the morning to make it happen. You see what I'm saying? There's always crazy out there. No, faith, remember we learned last week, faith is always about relationship. Faith is about relationship. That's what it is. It's about trust. It's, and it's about trust in the person who t- made the promise. And so, so, uh, so faith is, is just trusting the word of a good friend. In this case, it's God, right? That's what faith's about. All right, now there's a second, uh, second principle that flows out here. And this one has to do with where does faith come from? I mean, any, any of you want more faith in your life? Let me see. Anyone want more faith? Okay, great. If you don't raise your hand on that one, I don't know why you're here. Um, I'm like, what? No, I don't want more faith. I want more doubt. I'm here. That's why I came today. I want to be more doubt in my life. Can you show me how? Um, yeah, okay. So we, so we want more faith. And, you know, we, we want to trust God more. It's like, hey, I mean, who wouldn't? We've learned in Romans that faith is the key to our relationship with God. And salvation, we've learned that faith is, is in, in trust is what takes any relationship to a new level. 
Uh, we've learned that faith, last week we talked about how faith releases the power of God in our life. Who wouldn't want more faith? The question is, how do we get it? And here, here's a, the principle that comes out of Abraham's life in Romans 4 today. Real faith grows when it's stretched. Real faith grows when it's stretched. In other words, um, faith in a lot of ways is like a muscle. Your faith is like a muscle. Um, and you know how it is when you go to work out. Now, I, I, about three weeks ago, I started working out uh, again. Um, this is, um, I, I hadn't worked out for probably very much, for like maybe six months. You know, all this health stuff going on, they're sick and bunch of things happening, and then just real busy, and so, um, you know, a lot of times I get home until 7, 8 o'clock at night, it's like, I still want to work out, so I haven't been working, and in about, you know, three weeks ago, I got to get serious about this, I got to get back in shape, and so it's amazing, you know, go back, and it's how your muscles degenerate, right, when you're not working out, and so you go back, and now it's just like you can't do what you used to be able to do, and it's just so painful, but you know how it is when you work out a muscle, when you work out a muscle, the idea is that you stretch it to a point of exhaustion, right? You push the muscle to the point of exhaustion. And at the point you think you can't take any more, then you stop. And then a couple days later, you come back and you think that muscle would be destroyed. I mean, you just worked it to death, but the reality is it's grown through this being, by being stretched, right? It comes back, you come back stronger. That's how muscles work. Well, faith is much the same way. Is that when God wants to grow a person's faith, what he often does is he stretches it. He stretches their faith. See, the opposite of faith, as I mentioned before, is fear. And you know this in your life, right? Like when you're trying to trust God for something, you've got the fear side of you and you've got the faith side, right? And so there's a part of you that, I, like, I, I believe God's going to come through. There's a part of you, I'm not so sure he's going to come through. And there's this battle that goes on between faith and fear. And so God allows us to be put in situations that stretches our faith. It's like, Man, I'm really scared. Oh, I got to trust. I'm really stretched. And, and it's stretching us. And as it stretches us, guess what? The end results of our faith grows. And you see this in Abraham's life. Look at your uh, Bible there in chapter uh, verse 20. Romans 4 and verse 20. I want you to catch this. He says, uh, Yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the, the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith. He was strengthened in his faith. Now catch that. Uh, he was strengthened. It's in the passive tense. And this is an accurate translation of the Greek. Uh, you know, the Greek has, they're, they're clear on tenses. And, uh, and, it, and so in the Greek, uh, he was strengthened. His faith was strengthened. In other words, Abraham didn't strengthen his own faith. That's active. I strengthen my, that's active voice. Passive voice is when something happens to you, something's done to you. His faith was strengthened. He didn't strengthen his own faith. His faith was strengthened for him. You following? And so, so here's, here's the crazy thing. God makes a promise when he's 75 years old. He waits 25 years to fulfill the promise. He waits until his body is as good as is dead. Now, why would God wait for 25 years? Because God was setting up a miracle. 
And when God waits in our lives, he is often setting up a miracle, you see? And what he's doing is he's stretching our faith because during that time, as we go through this faith and fear battle, and our faith is getting exhausted, believe it or not, Abraham's faith got stronger the more the years went on. Isn't that crazy? This is so counterintuitive. In other words, Abraham trusted God more when he was 99 than he did when he was 75, even though the evidence suggests he should be trusting God way less. You following this? God made the promise 24 years ago. God has not come through on that promise. In the meantime, his body died. Right? And so what should be happening is that, whoa, uh, my faith is gone. I've given up hope. My faith has been stretched to the limit, and I can't do this anymore, and I give up. And yet, that's not what happened. His faith was stronger at 99. He was more convinced of the promise in 99 than he was at 75. Now, how does that happen? I'm telling you, it's like a muscle. You stretch it to the breaking point, and then you let it rest, and God shows up every few years just to reaffirm, I'm still with you, I promise. You've experienced this in your life, right? You're trusting God for something and you think, I can't trust anymore. And all of a sudden, God shows up and through some way kind of confirms this promise and you get hope again. And now you're like stronger than ever. And then you go and then you get beat down, right? And then you're like, I can't trust anymore. And then, you, and then God shows up and then you get stronger, you see? And there is this, this process that happens in our life. It's how our faith grows. And once we understand this, it makes the Bible make a lot more sense. And it makes your life make a lot more sense. Because once you understand this, and think of all the times that this happens routinely in the Bible. Hey, can you think of a story in the Bible where God just shows up, does something amazing the first time? I mean, stop and think about it. We've got Abraham here. We've got his story. Think of uh, Moses. He goes down to the Red Sea. He, re- he rescues the people out of, out of Egypt. And so they're heading for the promised land. And God sets it up, and so there's the Red Sea behind them, in front of them, and the superpower of the world at the time, Egypt, behind them, chasing them with the most, one of the most powerful military forces the world had ever seen at that point in history. And here's the nation of Israel. You've got the Red Sea in front of you. You've got the Egyptians charging you from behind. Why does God allow those situations in our life? Because he's setting up a miracle. Because you see, when we're at that place in our life, your faith is being stretched to the max, isn't it? Is he coming through? Is he not? I'm trying to believe. I don't know if he will. I don't know. And you fight this fear of faith battle. And, and God has your attention, doesn't he? Have you ever noticed that? When you're in the midst of a crisis, God has your full attention. The rest of the time, whatever. But you go into a crisis, it's like, God, are you there? Where are you? I'm looking for you, God. I'm all here. Got any messages for me? And he has their attention. And so then when God splits the Red Sea, do you think they forget that? No, because, man, their fear was at sky high. And that thing's emblazoned on your brain. And you remember. You remember that God could be trusted. Right? Because it was a crisis. It's like your plane's going down. You're about to hit planet Earth. You remember when suddenly that engine kicks on. You don't forget that. And so you go ahead in time, and you go, you go to the story of Joshua. God says to Joshua, take the priests. It's time to go in the promised land. You're going to cr- cross the Jordan River. Happens to be flood season. Oh, 
just happens. We're going to take the, the priests. We're going to put the Ark of the Covenant on the, the poles. And uh, what, well, how do we get across? Well, they walk. Well, when's the, when's the sea going to split for them? Well, when, when their feet hits the water. Oh, great. Why does God do this? Like, why doesn't he have the, the, sea, the, the river split like 10 steps before? Because it doesn't make a very good story. <laughs> and we don't remember it. It's just, oh, yeah, that was that day. Yeah, God split the river. When was it? I didn't even see it. It was two miles ahead before I got there. <laughs> but you believe me. They, they remember that day when it's like, you go first. No, you go first. It's you. It's flood season. Okay, here we go. Woo! You remember. You got to go in the promised land. They're being overrun by the Midianites. God calls uh, Gideon to lead them against them. Gideon blows the trumpet. Israel comes together. 32,000 warriors. They're still outnumbered like crazy. God says, you got too many warriors. Excuse me? Have you seen the Celtics? Really? Yeah, you got too many. Let's get rid of Kobe. Yeah, that new guy from Memphis or wherever, get rid of him. Right? It's like, no, and God gets them down to 300 men. Really? Why? You just go through the Bible. It's always like this. You get to Jesus. Even Jesus dies. And he stays dead for three days. Could he just be dead for one day? Like, why three days? doesn't make as good a story. We don't remember it. You see what happens? God lets us go to our life to these extreme points, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does love us. And because he so much wants a deeper relationship with us, and he knows, like we learned last week, that our level of relationship is directly proportionate to our level of trust. And so he takes us to the edge why? So that we never forget that he can be trustworthy. You see, the story of Abraham, if he had the kid when he was 78, who'd care? Now, you wait till he's 100, that's a story. There's a story. You see, remember. You see, in our lives, when we get in a jam, all we want is get out of the jam. God wants a deeper relationship with you. And so he'll let it go to the 11th hour. Because there you will learn to trust. And there, once you learn to trust, we can enter into a new level of relationship. And of course, the great thing is, is that after we get to the 11th hour, God always comes through. God will always do what he says, right? He's going to always carry his promise. And so we fast forward a year in time. Abraham's now 100 years old. His wife is 90. And sure enough, she gets pregnant. Can you believe that? I mean, just can you believe that? Hundred, some of you are going like 90 years old and that's a blessing. <laughs> anyway, but, like, I just looked at someone's face and I won't look over there, but it's like their face like horror. Like, oh, it's a bad, this is a bad story, not a good story. <laughs> 90 years old, she's calling in to OB. Hey, doc, I haven't seen you in 52 years. <laughs> I'm pregnant, you know. Nine years old, 
And uh, God always comes through, doesn't he? And so they, they have a baby. You know what she names the baby? Yeats Hawk. Yeats Hawk. We say Isaac. They say Yeats Hawk. You know what Yeats Hawk means? He laughs. And you know what she said after she named the baby? She said, God has made me laugh. And everyone who hears my story is going to laugh with me. Isn't that great? Here's what I love about the story. Abraham didn't have to wait until his wife got pregnant to start laughing. He didn't have to wait till that baby was born to start laughing. He started laughing a year earlier. And here's the beautiful thing. When God draws us into that relationship and we learn to trust him, catch this, we can laugh at the future before the future comes. Isn't that awesome? We can laugh with our God when the future looks bleak because he has said it, he's promised it, it's money in the bank, and we can roll on the ground and laugh with our God and say, that is the best one I've heard. You are amazing. I love your sense of humor. You see? And that's where God's taken us. He wants to take us from a race that deeply distrusts him to a race of people who are so confident in who he is and his love for us that even before the promise comes true, we can fall on the ground and laugh with him because absolutely he's the best friend we've ever had. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for the story of Abraham and his faith and his journey of faith. God, how it grew over the years to come to a place in his life where he could laugh at the future. God, I want to be like that. I don't laugh at the future. Half the time I'm worried about the future. Even things you've promised me about, I worry about those things. I, I know that battle between fear and faith. I experience that. I'm thankful for what you're doing in my life. You're teaching me just a little bit more slowly over time to laugh at the future. If you've said it, it's going to happen. Trust to take it to the bank. God, we want to be that kind of people who enter in who know you so well. Our confidence in you is so, so strong. You're the best friend we've ever had. It's like you called Abraham your friend. You're the best friend we ever had, and we know you'll, what you've said you'll do. We have absolute confidence that we can laugh at our future before the future arrives. We pray you'd create that kind of holy hilarity in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. As we, uh...